streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado and today by Duck Territory beat writer Eric Scopel, who's here to help us preview the biggest matchup between the Beavers and Ducks in probably a decade, number 126. Coming up at Research Stadium Saturday afternoon at 12.30. Game will be on ABC. We're going to let Eric take us through the uh, the Oregon program a little bit. Uh, give us some insight on the Ducks. We'll let him bounce. And then Angie and I will cover all of the news from Corvallis this week. Provide our keys to the game. And then, as always, take a look around the Pac-12. And let's start with Angie, who has been busy behind the scenes working on our 75% off Black Friday promo. Angie, let's uh, let's let you promote that here before we get going. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and this is for, if we have any Duck listeners too, this is Duck Territory. This is the entire 24-7 network. 75% off through Cyber Monday, but they started it early so you can take advantage of it now and get ready for the game. Um, 75% off. It works out to $26.85 for the entire year. Best sale that we do, um, the best promotion we do all year definitely time to jump on, uh, especially with Civil War. I still call it Civil War, Eric. I'm sorry. Just the way it is. Um, With Civil War week here, Oregon week, definitely time to get on. Recruiting. I've also been working behind the scenes with recruiting. Um, Oregon State had a commitment on Monday um, out of Texas. I expect a couple more coming in the next couple of weeks before signing day. So it's a perfect time to jump on. And they're running the same promo over at Duck Territory as part of the 24-7 Sports Network. So Eric, certainly working behind the scenes on that on their end. Eric, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate the time and, and the insight for sure. Let's start with uh, you just letting the listeners know who you are, what do you uh, what you do at Duck Territory, how long you've been covering the program, and uh, and some of the content that you produce over on, on the Duck side of 24 seven. Yeah, this is, I think season six for me at the, this iteration of working for duck territory. I actually worked at educk, which was part of the scout network. I don't know if you know that Angie or not. Um, prior to that in 2015, I think it was when I was working there, took a little break, came back and uh, yeah, I've been doing this for a while with Matt, Matt Freeman. I are two of three full-time contributors on the site along with Jared Mack. We just brought in about a year and a half ago. 
so we're, we got three three headed monster. We got three full time employees. We're at pretty much everything. We, uh, we we split up the basketball duties, but football we are all all on board. In fact, we have probably more people covering every day to day thing for Oregon sports than than anybody else out there. And we're I think we're really proud of the coverage we put together. So yeah, we've got our own podcast, Odds and Audibles. Carter was on that. Uh, with Matt and I earlier today, you can check that out if you'd like to hear uh, kind of our Q and A. Obviously, Oregon State fans have a pretty good feel for, I'm sure, some of the things we talked about from from Carter already. But um, that was a fun conversation, and and we'll of course uh, have a lot more things up on the site this week, uh, previewing this matchup and, and a lot of opportunities, hopefully, uh, afterwards to to catch up too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you guys do an amazing job, and we've had people on from the twenty four seven family for years. So um, I didn't know you were with Educk though before. So yeah, I was. I've been doing this since '06. It's been a long time. <laughs> I was with Rivals and then Scout for like a little like month, yeah. and then jumped on over. But um, just such a wealth of knowledge. So Beaver fans, you are really getting um, the best of the best. And uh, Carter, we know what it's like to kind of be the people putting out the most content. We pride ourselves on that in Corvallis as well, for sure. So um, I can definitely vouch for the work that uh, that Eric and Matt and, and the rest of the team over there at Duck Territory do. I'm always checking out their work to to get the latest on, quote unquote, those guys down the road. <laughs> yeah, those guys is what the Oregon State Beavers <laughs> refer to them as. Fair enough. Uh, so, so let's dive into Oregon here uh, while we have Eric with us here on the damn podcast and and kind of pick his brain on the Ducks and, and that team that's going to be coming up to Corvallis, making the 45 minute drive north up I-5 or 99 or whichever route they take uh, Saturday afternoon. And I think we have to start at the quarterback position. That has been uh, one of the most notable storylines of, of the last few weeks for Oregon is, is the health of Bo Nix. Um, who clearly was not 100% against Utah. You, you could see that uh, the yeah. offense was not firing on all cylinders um, like it has been for, for most of the year, an, an offense that's averaging over 40 points per game. Um, you, you heard from him, what, Tuesday, Monday? He said he was good to go. Um, but how close to full strength do you reasonably expect that he could be? I think that's the question. Last week it was, would he be available? Now it's, what can he offer? And I think you saw a week ago, a lot of the passing stuff was still there. I mean, I was impressed with a couple of the rollouts and the throws he made downfield, a couple of passes that that traveled through the air pretty far. I think I was uncertain if the vertical passing game, which has been a staple um, this year, would continue to be something he was he was capable of, I guess, consistently hitting on it. And we'll see what that looks like this week as well. But the big thing with Bo a week ago was, you know, he's been such a dynamic dual threat quarterback and the running was taken completely out of the game. That was both out of designed runs. That was, I don't think they really ran a lot of RPOs or if they did, there was no run option or at least keep option for the quarterback. And, and then in terms of scrambling, I think one of the things, you know, Oregon is one of the better offensive lines in terms of limiting sacks. I think the number is now two or three on the season. I forget that they've allowed all year, which is pretty remarkable. And that's been, in part due to really good offensive line play. Veteran guys have been together. Adrian Clem's come in from the Pittsburgh Steelers to be the offensive line coach, kind of instilled some new technical stuff. But another big part has been Bo and how I think adept he is in the pocket of moving around and, and making people miss and deciding when to take off. And that part was gone as well. And so it was a much more one-dimensional Oregon offense than it's been in previous weeks. And and that's in part why the game was really low scoring and why Oregon's defense was the one that kind of was able to, to kind of finish things off when an offense that 
all season has really kind of saved the bacon. Wasn't able to do that for the majority of that game. They got off to a pretty good start, strong first half, but second half, Utah made some adjustments, kind of recognized Knicks isn't going to keep it, and Oregon couldn't run the football. They threw the ball okay downfield, but really were only able to kick the one field goal, and ultimately that ended up being enough. But you just kind of wonder where Bo's at this week with, with another week of rest, but I don't think anyone expects that injury to be close to 100% coming into this one. So uh, assuming he can't give you everything you normally expect to get out of Bo Nix this weekend, I mean, how much does that hold Oregon back? Because you think of that scheme as being heavy with the RPO, heavy with the quarterback run. I mean, this is a quarterback who's run for 14 touchdowns this year, and then he only ran it once against Utah. It was, it was a big one to, to kind of ice the game there. Um, but the ground game is is a huge part of, of Bo Nix's game and, and a huge part of what makes that offense move so effectively. So if he can't provide that, I mean, how detrimental could that be? for the Ducks offense going up against a defense that's been pretty yeah. solid year round. This is a team where Oregon has been able to win kind of pretty with just scoring a lot of points, let the defense kind of manage itself. And, you know, if they give up two or three touchdowns, that's probably going to be okay. Cause the offense, the offense can, you know, can, can do its part and get, get you close to you know, 30 to 40 points every week. They don't have that luxury anymore. And that's what we saw against Utah last week of they had to win kind of ugly. And that's what will have to happen. I think on Saturday against Oregon state. Um, because I, I don't expect Bo to be quite the player he's been previously, like I said, and that takes a big component of the run game out. I mean, Oregon had been, I believe, going into last week, the conference's top rush offense and averaging about 240 yards per game, and they ended up with 56 or 59, I think it was, and 56 came in the first half before Utah made some adjustments. So Oregon in the second half basically couldn't run the football, um, and that is a – pretty alarming trend because this has been an offense this year that has been run first to set up a lot of the vertical passes. And I'm not sure really what you can expect to get out of Bo as a runner. And as you said, that has a pretty big impact in terms of the offense. So um, I, I do think there is enough there to, to move the ball down the field passing, you know, it has been pretty, pretty competent all year there and made some really good decisions, even, even when uh, maybe there hasn't been a lot there in terms of checking it down and throwing it away. But I, I don't expect this offense to be anywhere near where it was earlier on in this season where, where Bo was able to, to run for 60, 80 yards per game and, and get in the end zone a couple of times. That component, I think, is pretty much off the table unless he's healed up and, and you know, has really in, improved his health, which I don't believe is where things are at right now. Which is interesting. I mean, are, does it concern you at all? Because Oregon State's strength is their secondary. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, yeah. Oregon State is not good containing mobile quarterbacks or they have struggled in the past um, giving up some big chunk runs. But Oregon State strength is that secondary. No, I think it, I mean, that's why I said it has to be low scoring, I think, for, mm-hmm. for, for this game for Oregon. Because, you know, I, I don't know exactly where the offense comes from to a certain degree. Oregon has some talent out at receiver that has been, able to win one-on-one matchups and I think you hope that you can get those 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 victories again on Saturday um but they're gonna have to get creative in the run game and they tried a couple things last game that just didn't work I mean one of them was the first snap of the second half bringing in Ty Thompson for I don't really know what that was Dan has been pretty (laughs) tight-lipped about what that was and didn't really give a lot of explanation um and then they tried running out of the wildcat twice and those plays just didn't work at all so um, yeah, the, the, the run game to me, which again has been such a reliable part of this offense all year, 
is suddenly really unreliable. And that makes this offense to a certain degree, pretty unreliable. Uh, they have a really good kicker. I know Carter was on our podcast and talking about lamenting some of the concerns for Oregon state. If this becomes a field goal competition, I think Oregon feels pretty good um, because Camden Lewis has been really consistent. Um, and, and maybe this is a game where you just, you take more field goals because you're having a hard time getting down the field if you, if you can. So no, I, I think there certainly are concerns offensively, which is a weird place to be considering all season. It's been, okay, you know the offense is going to be able to move the ball. Can the defense just do enough to keep the other team from going for a 40 or 50? That's what's a, But that's what's so interesting because Oregon State has had such a crappy defense for so many years that we are now actually kind of in the same boat. Like, can our offense do any – I mean, the defense will keep them in it. Can the offense score enough points? I mean, that's it's a strange place to be for, for Oregon State too. Yeah. And, and Oregon's I defense go back to, played a little better. Sorry, to cut you off. Oregon's defense played a little better last week. We'll see if that trend continues or if that was kind of a one-off. Yeah, I, I want to go back to that run game in particular because that um, really, I mean, it's, it's been the strength of both teams. It's their ability to run the ball offensively, but then defensively to take it away from the other team. So, you know, you, you kind of see these two teams clash there at the point of attack. Oregon State's, or uh, sorry, Oregon's offensive line, one of the best in the country, I, I believe, if, are they down to semifinalists or finalists for the Joe Moore Award? I, I know they're on that list. Um, I thought it was semifinalists that just yeah. came out. Um, obviously, the the pass blocking numbers are there too, only giving up three sacks to this point in the year. So, I mean, even with the injuries on that offensive line at Oregon, do you feel like this still is, is kind of one of those games that gets determined at the point of attack? And if so, how much of an advantage does Oregon have there uh, offensively in, in particular? Yeah, and some of this will be dependent on health because it's not just Nick's that's dealing with an injury. Uh, Alex Forsythe, the team's starting center, didn't play last week, and I think that had an impact on the lack of run game success, some of the issues that they had up front. And honestly, they were pretty good on pass situations. Like, I was really impressed with, you know, Utah's very much aware of what Bo's situation was. He wasn't really impacted more than a couple of times all game. He had the one sack, and then he had, I think, a third down where he had to throw it away, and they settled for a field goal. But for the most part, they kept him pretty upright, and that was pretty impressive considering they were playing a couple backups. Um, we don't know what Forsyth's status will be. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson was a player who got a start last game at right guard, but he left pretty early. Um, and Ryan Walk, who had been the right guard, was starting at center. Now, we don't. there's probably some jockeying of stuff here. And then the other component that's actually the good news for Oregon is Stephen Jones, who was the day one starter at right guard, just returned for the Utah game after missing about 10 weeks with a foot injury. So they are getting healthier, but there's also players out of the lineup. So there's a little bit of uncertainty about exactly who's available in this one. Um, I would imagine whatever they put out there will be fairly close to what they've been most of the season. I don't know exactly where Forsyth and Powers Johnson are at, but, um, but yeah, that could be an advantage for, for Oregon. And, and certainly I think Forsyth is one of the more valuable offensive players on this, on this team. He's a third year starter at center, really smart player. You know, he and Nick's, I think do a lot of the pre-snap determinations of checking and getting into certain protections and getting out of certain plays and not having Forsyth last week. Maybe you could say, impacted some of the runs that they were in maybe some of the run fits they didn't they, they weren't maybe exactly what they were supposed to be in part because they had some, a, a second center in there who isn't as, as confident maybe in some of the decisions pre-snap but um no i i think oregon will absolutely want to run the football and, and they'll need to run the football to be successful in this game i think it was kind of 
you know, I talk about how much short the Oregon defense is. Was that a one-off with Utah? I don't know if you can expect Oregon to to win a football game running for less than 60 yards. I, I think that's just kind of a, a tough place to put yourself in. So Oregon, ha- I mean, like we talked about, the offense has been so explosive. I, they've scored over 40 points in every game except Georgia, Washington, and Utah. If Oregon State is going to slow them, I mean, they might be a little slow just with injuries and whatnot, yeah. but what is Oregon State's best shot to slowing them down? Yeah, I mean, I think the big part is is the run stuff we're talking about here. If, if And, you know, I think it's maybe uh, you think, okay, well, Oregon was able to throw the football against against Utah and, and really it was pretty remarkable a lot of the success they had. Well, Oregon State, that should be another plus opportunity. I don't think that's the case at all with what Oregon State has in the back end. I think it's going to be one of the tougher secondaries Oregon has faced all season. So for Oregon State, I think it's a matter of, okay, if you can win on first and second down against an, an Oregon run attack, which is doesn't feel like it's what it's been all season, and then force Oregon to have to win on third down throwing, which is a place where Oregon's been pretty comfortable. Bo Nix has been very adept in those situations all season. But if you can if you can win a fair number of those downs, you can slow this team down. And the punting, you know, I mentioned how good the Oregon place kicker is. The punting is a mess. They've had four different guys that tried to punt this season. Bo Nix is the fifth. They've had five different people punt oh, the ball this year. So, hey, well, I, Oregon State has a good punter. There we go. So yeah, the, the special teams thing it's it's, 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 it's split. But you know that so that so it, it, my my point being though like if you if you do end up getting three and outs or, or forcing Oregon to punt it's not like Oregon's going to flip the game with this punting um, so no I, I I think the run game is crucial and I, I think uh, with not knowing how much Bo can really do as a runner I imagine early on Oregon State just really kind of takes away the running back and, and forces Bo to hey if you can carry it go for it if not. They get creative because that part of the game was that was exactly what Utah did in the second half, and it was kind of lights out from a run perspective. Yeah. So while we're on the run game, let's move to the defensive side for Oregon because obviously Oregon State also has a pretty potent rushing attack led by Damian Martinez, who has now run for over a hundred yards in five straight games. Probably one of the best running backs Oregon has faced this year, and again, it's it's a good Oregon run defense. The mm-hmm. the, the numbers are there. Uh, I believe it's top 20 in the nation in stopping the run at 112 and a half uh, rushing yards allowed per game. But then I look at, you know, I, I was looking at the stats at maybe some comparable guys to Martinez who, who the Ducks have faced. Zach Charbonnet at UCLA racked up 151 on 7.6 yards per carry and a touchdown against Oregon. And I feel like, you know, if Oregon State can get that from Martinez in this game, it's going to be pretty happy with the production it got from the running game. So, I, I guess just how much do you expect Oregon's run defense to mitigate what Oregon State does in, in the ground game this weekend? Really impressed with what they did up front last week against Utah. Um, you know, Utah finished, with, I think, 150 or something around there. Um, a fair amount of that was rising scrambles near the end of the game. They were really successful in short yardage situations. They had a couple of spots where Utah was was trying to push it to extend drives, but was stood up and they had to kick field goals or I think the second time go for it on fourth and they failed. So the Oregon defensive front has been all season, probably the strength of the defense. Um, the linebacker play has been very up and down. And I think for this defense to me, like the more I'm kind of watching, rewatching some of these games, I think a lot of this is matchup dependent. Like I think the Washington matchup was just a disaster for this Oregon defense, which doesn't have a lot of speed at safety and really only have – Christian Gonzalez is an excellent cover corner. Triquez Bridges, the other corner, 
was a guy they wanted to play at safety, but nobody else was really capable enough to play at corner. So he's basically playing out of position this year. And he's fine in terms of if you're playing like soft zone coverage, he'll make the play, but he gives up quite a bit that way. And, and I just don't know if they have the personnel to match up with the Washington, which is going to stretch you down the field, has all these all this speed on the outside and, and a really competent quarterback. That was a really tough matchup for Oregon. Um, Utah, which I think is probably more comparable to Oregon State than Washington, is probably a matchup Oregon defensively is more comfortable playing in where it is going to be a lot of stuff in the front seven. And when they do take shots downfield, it seems like it's a little bit more inconsistent in terms of connecting than what we saw against Washington. So I'll, I'll be curious. I think that is a, a more is a more favorable matchup for sure than what Washington was, which just going in, everybody was kind of like, boy, like this could be a problem. And then it was worst case scenario. It was more than a problem. It was a disaster, especially in the fourth quarter where they gave up two 60-yard touchdowns to drop the game. Um, I think for, for Oregon, a lot of it will come down to linebacker play. Noah Sewell's been playing a lot better recently. Um, Justin Flo doesn't play a lot, but when he does, he's pretty productive. But to me, it comes down to Jeffrey Bassa, who's their second I'm starting I just, I'm, I'm laughing because the Georgia game, the announcers were going on and on about Justin Flo as the, this is one of the best linebackers in the country, folks. Yeah. It was actually well, comedy. And he, well, he just doesn't play very much. He plays like five snaps per game, like genuinely yeah. doesn't play a whole lot. And Jeffrey Bassa, who starts, is really I think a pretty ineffective player. He's a converted defensive back playing linebacker. So Oregon's got some guys like playing out of position, which is, which is where you might have concerns, but um, no, I, I think the run game will be, as we said earlier, be pretty telling. And if, if one team has a ton of success running, I think that team's probably going to win the game. And I think it'll be tough. I, I just look at the matchups. We've talked a, a lot about kind of special teams. Oregon State has maybe wins the punting advantage. Oregon mm -hmm. wins the kicking advantage. Kicking wins points though. How is Oregon's, um, return coverage because Oregon state has returned a couple kicks and punts to the house. It's not fantastic. You know, they, you know, they brought in Joe Lorg who was the Penn state special teams coach. And if you go look at the stats at Penn state, it was like pretty remarkable. Like they were really terrible before he arrived. And then his two or three seasons there, they were like top five in kick and punt return coverage. Not been very good this year. And I think part of that has been just not consistent punting like if the punter isn't putting the ball downfield very far or to the right spot it's hard to get your return coverage units in the right places to finish the play haven't been beaten for a touchdown all year they've had a couple long ones but it, it just hasn't consistently been a strength I don't think it's been a massive weakness but um, they have they have some speed on this team I would say for an Oregon team though they're still trying to get back to be like Mario Cristobal, when he was here, it was all strength, brute force, and they really lost a lot of the a lot of the speed that was kind of such a defining characteristic for Oregon for so many years. I think you know, this year's team has a speed coach. They have a, like a, a coach whose job is to work on purely on speed and agility and all that. I think they're going to get there from a speed perspective, but this still isn't like a super fast team in general. They've got some guys, but like across the board, it's not what they were six to eight years ago. Potential matchup, I suppose, for Oregon State to, to potentially exploit if Anthony Gould is back in the lineup and, and returning punts for the Beavers. Uh, of course, he missed the Arizona State game with an injury. Uh, one more matchup I, I want to highlight before we move on to a couple of coaching questions uh, is that defensive backfield that you talked about for Oregon. Uh, Christian Gonzalez being a, a solid coverage corner, but it, it doesn't seem like outside of that much has gone Oregon's way in, in defending the pass or averaging 279 passing yards per game. They're giving up conversions on third down at a 49% rate. Um, but 
going up against an Oregon State offense, which hasn't really had much of a consistent or efficient passing game since Ben Branson took over at quarterback, you feel like maybe Oregon's weaknesses on the back end could be mitigated by that? Or do you think it's an opportunity for Oregon State to take a, a step forward there? Well, I'll, I'll just ask it back to you. Like, what, what's the speech said Anthony Gould, I know, I know, I watched him a little bit in high school. I know he's got some wheels. I know Treshawn's got some wheels. Like, is there speed there to consistently stretch the field? And how has Gold Branson been at hitting those passes? Because if there, if there's, if there's a level of competency, there should be plays available over the course of a, of a game. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think speed is is Oregon State's biggest weapon in the passing game. I, I think it's just the consistency of, of getting the ball there and mm-hmm. the, the struggles that Oregon State has had with drops. That's what makes the passing game so ineffective. But speed is is absolutely the no question. With, I mean, with Silas Harrison. They're all small. They're but they're not going to win jump balls. They're small. They're fast. Um, that's. I mean, we saw a little bit against ASU where they actually did a little more of the slants, little dump offs just to get the ball in guys' hands in space instead of going for deep balls. I think that's where Oregon State needs to be if they're going to have success because going deep might be a little tougher. Yeah, this is a defense that has kind of switched up its identity from a coverage perspective against Washington. It was a lot of soft zones, and then Washington still beat those for long plays. And so this last week they played a lot more press man coverage than they had recently. And I don't know if that was a lack of talent on the outside by Utah or, or what, but Utah really didn't have anything on the outside much of the day. And, and part of that was is Dalton Kincaid is such a weapon at tight end that like Oregon couldn't take that away. And that was their all game. So they just kind of went after that matchup. He had like 11 catches. Um, but not, I, I think this is not a, a very good defensive backfield. Um, Christian Gonzalez. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, if it makes you feel any better, Oregon State gave up the winning touchdown when they went soft zone against the Huskies, too. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I watched that drive down and I was yeah. in Boulder for that. Yeah, I watched that drive. I was, that was a disappointing outcome. Um, no, like, but Oregon has one really good corner at Christian Gonzalez, who I think is pound for pound one of the better defensive players in the conference and is a playmaker. Will, lo- you know, it's really hard to win battles to that side of the field wherever he's at. The rest of the guys in the secondary are, are kind of just like they're not very good in coverage. Like Brian Addison is a, is a really good coverage player, but he only plays on passing downs and he's a safety, a former wide receiver. He's like 6'5", covers a lot of space. He makes some plays. But Bennett Williams, who's one of the more talented overall players, has been a liability in coverage. He had a great bounce back game. He had a great, yeah, against Utah. He against had a couple Utah. good plays. He had the two picks against Utah, which was great yeah. to see because the week previous against Washington, he, he was the player in coverage on both the long okay. touchdowns. So it's a give and a take with this secondary. They've got a lot of veteran guys, which is a good thing. A lot of experience back there. A lot of these guys are fourth, fifth, sixth-year players. Um, but they're just – I just think aside from Gonzalez, I don't know how many, like, true NFL – like, I think Bennett Williams could play if, if he was asked to play a position. I, I think he's playing – all these guys are going to play out of position to me. Yeah. So, like, they have Bennett Williams playing kind of like a nickel position. But he but should be a safety. He should be playing deeper, but they don't really have some. So it's just kind of all of this stuff of things. Like, I think Bennett could be an NFL safety. I don't know if he's going to be playing in the position he's in now. And Christian Gonzalez certainly can be an NFL player. I think he'll be drafted pretty high when he goes probably at the end of the year is what the expectation is. But, no, the the the, the concerns should be there um, from an Oregon perspective going into any matchup, basically, uh, in terms of stopping the pass. I mean, Colorado had a 85-yard touchdown on the secondary. So, yeah, it's not not a strength. <laughs> Angie, do you want to you want to lead us into the the coaching questions here before we get Eric out? Okay, yeah. So 
first of all, I just have to say everything I've seen from Dan Landing is super impressive. Um, yeah. I, I think from a Beaver, when you talk to Beaver fans, they all kind of liked when Mario was in place because he kind of it was that easy guy to not like for your rival. But everybody yeah. likes Landing. It's you know he's kind of like Mark Helfrich. Every all Beaver fans are like, oh, he seems like a nice guy. Um, Eleven games in, what are your thoughts on the job he's done? I, I find him to be, I just did a radio thing earlier today and they are asking me kind of like, how did he win over the Oregon players and, and the fan base? And I think two things are very much the, the, the case here. He's extremely likable. He's a funny guy. He, he understands how to communicate with people. I think that's just a winning characteristic in almost any profession, but especially coaching where it's so relational and, 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 and in terms of making obviously building relationships with his players is much more important than building relationships with media people. I don't think he really cares what we think of him to a certain degree, but like there, like there are, he'll have some quips that are like, okay, you can see why people would like enjoy being around him. Like, I don't know if you saw his comment about Chris Hudson after the Utah game, but that's like one of those things. It's like genuinely like, okay, good. He kind of understands yeah. it. He's got a good sense yeah. of humor. So that part I think wins over people just on like a, a, a like a, just a early on basis of like, okay, early introductions, early perceptions of him and then he's really smart he's a really really bright guy you don't get to this position at 36 without being just top of the class football intellect he's i think done a really good job of giving agency and kind of autonomy to his coordinators i think at times that has bit him defensively because i think if you ask anybody objectively like who's the best defensive mind on this coaching staff it's dan lanning but tosh lupoy has been the defensive play caller there might have been a shift this last week um, where Lightning is taking on a little bit more ownership, and you'll notice the defense played a lot better. Um, but he's let Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, just do his thing. And that was a real problem with the previous staff. Mario's hands were kind of in every every container. He was really kind of an over-micromanager type of leader, I think. Authoritarian. That you're, You can say the word, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, that's what I've heard. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And I don't think that's inaccurate. And I think Dan Dan give, Dan certainly will be very involved, but also wants to make sure that they have the understanding that like it's also their their offense. And you know, for Tosh Lupoi, that it is his defense with Dan Landing assisting. So I think he's done a great job of of doing that. Now the the negatives are probably he's maybe been too aggressive at times. Um, and that has at times been too you know, when it's worked, everybody has been like, that was brilliant, right? And that's just how football is. It's such a results-based sport where, and that's all sports, but like against UCLA, they go for the onside kick in the first half. They get it, they go score, they, they create a three-score game. You know, they go for it a couple times on fourth down, they get it, and that extends drives, all of this stuff. Everybody's like, wow, this is incredible. Against Colorado, they, the first touchdown, they throw it to the left ta tackle eligible. They run it with the uh, a linebacker comes in and runs it in from a yard, you know, yard out. The running back throws a touchdown to the quarterback. All these fun trick plays. Like, oh, man, this is great. And then against Washington, when they try the onside kick and it doesn't work, and then they go for it in a couple spots and fourth down and they get turned away, it becomes second guessing. So, um, and even a little bit of that against Utah, just he's, he's very, they're very aggressive, young staff. I think they, they, they are very confident in their ability and their players' ability to make these plays. But at times there's been, I don't want to say too much confidence, but just a little bit too much aggressiveness. And I think that will, he said he's learned lessons from some of these mistakes. And, and I, I think that will ultimately add up, but that's been probably the biggest complaint from an Oregon <laughs> fan base is just some, no. <laughs> so, no, but I, that's been the biggest complaint It's just sometimes they roll the dice too much and it, and it hasn't worked. But I think you like, you like coaches that are aggressive more than ones that, that aren't.
most most of the time. Yeah, Oregon State fans are certainly familiar with uh, aggressive play calling on on third and fourth downs with with Jonathan Smith. As as Angie alluded to, it can be a little yeah. polarizing at times. Mm-hmm. But um, you know what? I'm excited for this matchup because I do think Coach Smith and Coach Landing are two of the brighter you know, younger minds in the head coaching ranks. And I, I'm excited to see the chess match because I do think Jonathan Smith is very strategic in what he's doing. Trent Bray, they're going to come. I mean, so the chess match that we're going mm-hmm. to see is going to be fun to watch. Especially yeah. since one of them's an offensive mind and the other's yeah. a defensive mind. I mean, I think that that adds some intrigue to it for sure. Uh, one more for you, Eric, on, on Dan Lanning. And it has to do with him understanding and embracing the rivalry. And I I know this was a big talking point when Oregon was playing Washington a couple of weeks ago. Um, And and from what I gathered, he was playing the, you know, the UW fight song in practice and reached out to alumni to learn a little bit more. Have you sensed some of that with, with this rivalry too? I mean, obviously I, I I think as the years have gone on, we've seen that Oregon UW rivalry grow um, and maybe Oregon, Oregon state mean, potentially a little bit less to, to some Oregon fans. Um, but has Lanning kind of leaned into it? I, I know you said in um, our Q&A swap, which will be up at, at beaverblitz.com on Thursday, um, that that he is a, a huge fan of, of rivalry games and, and totally embraces it. So I guess, have you seen any of that kind of manifest throughout the week so far? Well, there was a guy with a chainsaw at practice revving the chainsaw <laughs> up during practice. So he, he is... Um, very clearly somebody who wants to try to push as many little buttons as possible. And, and, and he'll own up to the fact that like, I'm not from this part of the country. I'm not going to understand the rivalry as well as my players, but this is an Oregon team that obviously a ton of players have played in this rivalry and a lot of players that are, that are local who are from Eugene and uh, Portland. And I don't know if there's anybody who's from Corvallis off the top of my head, but there, there's certainly understanding among players and, um, and even some of the, not not the assistants on staff, but you go down the line, some of the GAs are former Oregon players. I think he's got a, a wealth of knowledge to pull from, but I just thought it was funny. They had a guy with an actual chainsaw practice today, apparently, just <laughs> revving that thing up, getting them ready. Um, but he, I think he, again, he he is somebody who uh, is not a robot, right? And like sometimes, like I, I think one of the things that frustrated Oregon fans at times in the past was the, you know, faceless opponent kind of concept, which is fine. Like I understand you want every game to be, you know, to be kind of seen similarly, you don't want to have ups and downs of a season, but Lanning has kind of said like, so that seems like you're kind of fighting against yourself there where the players are going to care more about Washington or, or, or more about going against Oregon state than they're going to care about going against some other teams. And, and so why not lean into it? And that's what I've seen him done so far. And, and he has said like, he loves rivalry weeks. Like this is a thing he gets him fired up. He gets excited about these opportunities. So yeah, no, I, I, I think, and I don't know what, I don't know exactly how Smith's approach has been to these kind of rivalry matchups, but total opposite. Like, yeah. Landing, landing leans in more than any coach <laughs> I've been around at Oregon. Like I don't remember much about Willie Taggart's time here. Cause I was a blip on the radar, but um, like Mario didn't really build up the rivalry stuff until Chip he, was really not into Chip it. Was, Chip was not into it. And Helfrich was, I think milk toast about most, most anything. <laughs> um I guess Mario built up the rivalry behind the scenes as some locker room videos after the Washington game a year ago came out. But uh, in terms of media approach and all that stuff, it was not really a, a thing. So, no, I, I think I think Lanning gets it. I think the players are yeah, – see, Jonathan Smith is toast too. I mean, he's played in four of them. You would think that mm-hmm. he – you know, I, I could see a couple – I mean, Trent Bray's probably talking, talk, you know, 
talking it up a little bit, but yeah. Players are, I saw Damian Martinez with a questionable tweet today. Little, little locker room. Uh, an, an, an acronym, perhaps. Yes, it was an FT and a little duck F. emoji. emoji, oh. And then a, a video of him running the ball against uh, ASU. I'm like, oh, Beaver fans loved it. But I'm like, ooh. Of course they do. Yeah. Freshman. Yeah. That's a freshman move right there. <laughs> <laughs> little bulletin board material, little bulletin material board. perhaps. Um, Eric, one more for you, and then we'll let yeah. you get on your way and, and get an early start on your Thanksgiving here. Um, but we, we, I mean, we just got to get your general thoughts on how you how you see this thing playing out. Obviously, a lot of matchups uh, across the board that are intriguing. We, we talked all about the run game, uh, Oregon State's potential ability to take advantage of of Oregon's secondary. If there's maybe one matchup you see determining the outcome of this thing, what is it? How do you see the thing progressing? And then, if you want to drop a score prediction, we'll let you put that on the record before you get out of here. I, I still think a lot of this comes down to what Bo Nix can give you as a runner. I mean, I think if you take that component away, it it greatly, it, it really impacts this offense to a point where I think it's going to be probably fairly low scoring. Um, I think, and I think it's probably asking too much for him to do a lot more than he did last week. The last thing you want is, you know, at, at the end of this season is for him to suffer. A, he, he had broke his ankle last year at Auburn. That's why his season ended there. And he broke his ankle and high school the last thing you want is him to have a third broken ankle because you tried to have him do too much and honestly the fact that he's playing in these games to begin with with what i understand is a pretty severe strain or sprain uh is impressive enough so i i don't expect he's really going to be able to do a lot more than he did last week and so if if the run game for oregon is just kind of mil- you know middle of the road and nothing special and they can't break a player here or there i think that's going to make it difficult for oregon to move the ball with a ton of success. So um, I, I think this game might be one that comes down to the fourth quarter of whichever offense can finally kind of get something going. And, and maybe it's, it's whichever offense protects the ball better. Um, you know, it, turnovers might be significant here. They were last week, there were six turnovers in that Oregon Utah game. That was a big part of why there was only 37 combined points scored with a game. I think the over under was like 70 going in and obviously didn't get there. Um, but I think this game could be very similar to the Oregon Utah game of last week and um, I'll probably be a homer and pick Oregon to win by a field goal but I really could see this going either way and genuinely I think I think if either team gets over probably 35 points that probably indicates it's lopsided one way or the other I just I just don't really look at this matchup and see and say you know like either team scores in the twenties, it's going to be pretty close, but I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to believe Oregon's going to score like 38 points unless it's the result of a bunch of turnovers or, or, or big plays that they hit that are unexpected just because I, I think there's, there's a lot missing right now offensively. Yeah, and Oregon state hasn't given up more than 17 points at home this season. Right. So yeah, it's going to be, that's, I'm, I'm right there with you. I kind of go back and forth, but I think it's a field goal game. There you have it. Eric Scopel of Duck Territory on the 24-7 Sports Network, stopping by and, and dropping all sorts of knowledge on the Ducks. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you at the, air quotes, press box at Research Stadium in about <laughs> 72 forward. hours. Look forward to that. All right, see you guys. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. That's Eric Scopel of Duck Territory on the 24-7 Sports Network. And Angie, just uh, basically another advertisement Again. for 24-7 Sports, and, and there's no better time to do it then right now with the 75% off deal that we've got running right now through Cyber Monday, Angie, tell the people about it. 
75% off an annual membership to Beaver Blitz. It gets you a full year of all of our coverage, um, including JP's walk-off in the in the spring with baseball, with <clears throat> basketball coverage, recruiting, football, spring camp, fall camp, you name it. It's a full year, a full year coverage for $26.85. You will not beat it. And I promise you, we would love to have you in the lodge. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, we're going to turn our sights now to Corvallis and the week that was and that continues to be as we record this on Wednesday, November 23rd, a day before Thanksgiving. Uh, Angie, we talked to Jonathan Smith on Monday in his weekly press conference, got some updates on injuries and whatnot. Uh, And then yesterday, it was the offense's turn to, to talk ducks, to talk the win over Arizona State and whatnot. And so let's, uh, let's highlight a few things that unfolded in Corvallis and we have to start with the injuries of course because that list continues to grow for Oregon State as the season winds down and another season ender Malik Kelly the the tight end who who played a little bit of fullback last week and in Jack Coletto's stead uh, is out for the rest of the year with that injury that appears to be a knee knee injury uh, technically undisclosed Jonathan Smith did not specify uh, but he is out for the year. In addition to Luke Musgrave at tight end, who Smith said is is probably done for the year as well, and he ruled him out for Saturday, um, said that he will likely not play in the bowl game as well. And lastly, Smith said that Chance, well, effectively said that Chance Nolan is probably done for the year, uh, saying that he would be surprised if Ben Goldbranson wasn't the starter on Saturday and for the bowl game. So, I, I feel like really no huge surprises there, but we did get a little bit more um, of a of a finite answer from Smith on a couple of those guys. Yeah, I mean, we've said for a while, and, and the things that I had been hearing was that Luke, we would not be seeing Luke Musgrave in a Beaver uniform again. He's preparing for the NFL and kind of moving on his next phase. Chance Nolan's an interesting one because Carter, I don't, we have not seen him on the sideline even. I mean, I really hope this kid's okay because I. I, I mean, I've looked for him on the sidelines and I have not seen him. He's not, you know, wearing the blue little penny to put in play. So hopefully he's okay. And hopefully we get to see him again at some point. Um, and then as, as we kind of indicated on Sunday night, um, Smith was super just noncommittal on everybody else. It was all day to day. So hopefully Oregon state gets a few more of those guys back. I know Tyler Morano Marino, um, it was not a foot injury. Like I had heard he was just sick. So yeah. hopefully he's back and yeah, hopefully some of those other guys can make a return to, you know, you know, guys like Jaden Grant, Alex Austin, Jack Coletto are going to be doing anything in their power to be playing in this game. 
Yeah, Chance Nolan actually is is not even practicing right now, uh, Jonathan Smith said on Monday, uh, which I, I think tells you all you need to know about his status. I mean, this injury occurred two months ago, and he uh, he, he still hasn't returned to, to full practice. And, you know, if, if that's the case now, it, it clearly is much more of a significant injury than we thought or, or were, to- were told at the time. Um, so obviously we, we continue to, to send good thoughts Chance Nolan's way and, and hope that he can return to the football field at some point. But even if he does get healthy for that bowl game, it would be pretty tough to, to uproot Bengal Branson now who continues to look better and better, get more and more comfortable in that QB1 role. So, um, I mean, like like Jonathan said, I, I mean, I kind of doubt we see Chance even if, if, even if he is healthy. Yeah, I, th- I thought Ben is finally looking more comfortable in the pocket. Uh, you know, what yeah. we saw down in Tempe, he's... He's and it looks like the team is rallying around him as well. So um, it's fun to see him him grow as well. And it looks like the game's really slowing down for him too. I mean, yeah. the the running plays he made where he didn't have what he wanted downfield and he decided to take off. I mean, that's not a play that Ben Goldbranson makes in his second or third start. You know, that's a that's more of a veteran type move yeah. and, and somebody who has seen some defenses firsthand. Um, but back to the injury piece. So I'll give you a rundown on some of the guys who did not play last week who are still day-to-day. That includes Jack Coletto at the utility spot, Deshaun Fenwick and Jam Griffin at running back, Anthony Gould at wide receiver and punt returner, offensive lineman Hanelli Bloomfield and Tyler Morano, and then defensive backs Alex Austin and Jaden Grant. Obviously starters all across you know, all across the board on, on both sides of the ball there not playing. Um, Jack Coletto I did see on the sideline at yes. Arizona State. Yes. So tells you perhaps he's, you know, maybe a little closer than than some of those other guys. But, um, I mean, if you're Oregon State, you need at least one of Austin and Grant back to help slow down that Oregon passing game. You need Anthony Gould back because he gives you speed on the edge, which is key to beating Oregon, as Eric just told us. And then the offensive line, too. I mean, you know, you're going up against a strong defensive front. You hope to get Hanele Bloomfield back in there. So, um, key injuries uh, across the board. Yeah. And, and yeah. again, we'll we'll have to wait until game day to figure out who of those will return, if any. Yeah, it's, I mean, we were, we were talking earlier in the season just how lucky Oregon State was with the injury bug. It kind of all crashed down then against uh, when the Bees were playing Cal and kind of continued last week. Um, but looking at, I mean, there's not a team in the Pac-12 or across the country that is not dealing with similar. So, I mean, look at Oregon with offensive linemen down. Bo Nix is, is nicked up. Um, yeah, it's... It's kind of part of the game, but hopefully Oregon State gets a few of these guys back because they're such key cogs to the offense and defense. Adding to the pageantry of Saturday's game at Reister Stadium, it's also senior day for Oregon State, as uh, we we see every other year in, in this matchup against Oregon. Uh, the, the seniors will be recognized before the game. That includes guys like Jaden Grant, Brandon Kipper, who Jonathan Smith shouted out on Monday when he was uh, you know, he he didn't give us a full list of who all's walking out, but you know, he mentioned those two as being a couple who, um, you know, th- those could be emotional farewells, and I, I think it's a little more meaningful just because those guys have been here since Smith took over, and they've seen the program at its low point, and you know, they're a, a key reason why the Beavers are still in contention for their third ten-win season in program history. Um, it'll, I think it'll be hard to see some of those guys go for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 interesting, you know, Carter. You know, I mean, as media, you kind of get to know these players, and yeah. there's some some senior day, some guys you do you you feel a little lump in the throat when they when they take the field for the last time, just because they are special. And um, I, I would say, you know, Jaden Grant is one, Brandon Kipper definitely, 
um, because those Jack guys Coletto. are Jack Coletto. Well. I mean, those are guys that, that speak to us and, um, we, you, you build a rapport with these guys and, um, you know how much it means to them. We're going to do our best to get that ceremony on video and put it up on the Beaver Blitz video YouTube. Um, I, we've had a couple of people ask us to do so. And I said, you know, the sight lines in the press box aren't very good. Field level is not the best to, to take in senior day. So we'll see what we can do and, and try to get that up on, on the channel um, since they obviously will not show that on TV. But for all those loyal Oregon State fans that subscribe to us on YouTube at Beaver Blitz Video, we'll try to get that up for you uh, if, if we can get a good sight line on everything. Um, obviously, this being a rivalry game, the questions come up in the press conferences, you know, does this mean more, blah, 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 all, all of this stuff. You're not going to get a reaction out of Jonathan Smith. No. You might from Dan Lanning, but but certainly not from Smith, um, who said, you know, he's emphasizing the meaningfulness of this game as he always does, but only to a certain extent in that you don't want to distract guys and you don't want them, frankly, too fired up. Too fired up, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it kind of business as usual from Jonathan Smith, I guess, in, in that in that regard. But I think the players are a little extra fired up. There's a, there's a little extra motivation as noted from, like I said, Damian Martinez's yeah. tweet today. Yeah. Uh, Smith did say that, that Oregon state will need emotion and passion to win this game. And he's calling on Beaver nation to provide that. So uh, if you are one of the lucky few who has a ticket to this game, um, if, if you were, you know, a season ticket holder or you, you bit the bullet and you spent hundreds of dollars on the secondary market, uh, Jonathan Smith wants you loud. As I, I, I want to see it louder loaded. than USC. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to talk because that was probably the loudest I've heard Reese um, in the Jonathan Smith era, even at reduced capacity. Uh, I, I also asked Jonathan Smith about the kicking game, which, you know, we, we like to talk special teams on the damn podcast. All right. So I asked him about it because Oregon State went one for three at Arizona State. <laughs> The Beavers are now three of 10 from 30 yards or, or, or further out. And frankly, at, at the college level, I mean, you see some of that, but um, being below average in kicking is is something that will bite you and, and certainly can in a close game like we expect this one to be. He said the guys are working at it and that, quote, they need some balls to go through the uprights. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you I don't know how you flip flip the script in one week of practice, but apparently they are trying. OK. Yeah, that's like stating the obvious there. Need some balls to go through the uprights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Brandon Kipper, who we just highlighted, I, I know Angie and I will miss him dearly when he's gone because he is such a wealth of, of, of knowledge and um, always provides great insight when we interview him. But um, he was part of the, the interview crew this week uh, on Tuesday. And I, I liked his his quotes on what this game means, not only to him, but the program, to the senior class, who he admitted has a losing record against Oregon. Um, and so he said, you know, for, for a guy like me, for our seniors uh, to go out on a high note with with a W this week um, would be would be meaningful. So I, I like I, I like that he admitted that, that this game yeah. does mean just a little bit more to, to the guys like him. Yeah. And uh, I know. Gosh, Kyrie Fisher's kind of, you know, mentioned the same, you know, those guys, uh, they, they want to beat these guys. And, and while they say they're not looking ahead, they, they've been quietly looking at this little circled date in the calendar. So uh, Ben Goldbranson also, you know, wants to help get them their win and go out with a win. And um, just if, if you get a chance and you're not watching the Beaver Blitz videos, 
definitely do so because it, it's fun to kind of get a glimpse of, of these players. Um, since we're talking special teams, I have to throw this comment up on the, if, if you're watching <laughs> us live on YouTube here, Eric F in the chat <laughs> drops this tidbit that I, in fact, kicked seven field goals in one game and returned a punt to the one yard line before getting tackled by a lineman. I uh, cannot confirm nor deny this. When, uh, this when was this like, like seventh, fourth grade? football third grade football as someone who football. has never played an organized game of football in my life i'm curious when this occurred but um okay. clearly clearly eric f's sourcing is um is putting in some work on that tidbit okay is it is it is it true no it's not even remotely <laughs> true <laughs> all right maybe hey, it, i think maybe we go with recess it. in like third grade or something okay but... i think we go with it i think we run with it hey i i appreciate special teams it's it's an underrated part of, of the game of football. Um, we will not have any special teams keys in our keys to the game segment, but let's move on to that anyways. And we'll start with Angie's <laughs> no, offensive wait, no. key right the now. The key to special teams is get the ball through the upright. There. There you go. Boom. Okay. There you go. Keys to the game. Carter and I actually have the similar, uh, the same. I'm not even going to say similar. Offensive key to the game is that Beavers have to have a downfield passing attack. That's comes back to with. comes back to Oregon's secondary, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that is their biggest weakness. They they have one of the best run defenses in the in the conference in the country. Oregon State's going to need to go downfield. I went a little bit further in saying that I think Bengal Branson has to have his best passing game yet. Actually, um, okay. you know, I, I think he has the opportunity for it because this will be the weakest pass defense that he has played against. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I actually, I think. Maybe Cal had a, a rough one. I, I can't remember. There yeah. was there was one defense he played against, and Washington too. But statistically speaking, um, Oregon's frankly is is not good. Their run defense is very good though, and so I think you know you've got the opportunity for Ben to have his best game, and also the necessity for it. And so yeah. I think um, you know that's that's just obviously something to watch for. Um, an, another element of that is what Oregon's done on third down, and and for you know, frankly, what it hasn't done on third down opponents are converting at a 49% clip, which is eerily similar to what Oregon state allowed on third downs for about a three, four year stretch with Tim Tibisar at DC. And you remember what Oregon's or uh, what Oregon state's past defense looked like in those years. That's pretty much exactly what Oregon's done. So, you know, as, as somebody who's seen that kind of defense for four years, um, you know how much of a liability that can be. And so I, I think it's important for Oregon State that if the Beavers are going to move the ball, they need Ben Goldbranson to be efficient in early down, but also mm -hmm. to take advantage of, of some of that porous third down defense. Go ahead and move to the defensive side, Angie. Defense, I think you have to stop the Ducks rushing attack. Um, you know, they're going to try to run the ball. They're, especially with Bo Nix, a little uh, hobbled. So, Oregon State has to stop them, and um, they have one of the better running attacks. I mean, I think them and Oregon State are like kind of neck and neck with with where they are running. Um, I, I love yours, Carter. That you know, find ways to pressure Knicks. The problem is Oregon State hasn't been able to pressure anybody. So with Oregon's O line, I think that's going to be a, a tough challenge. That's why I went with stopping the run. Yeah. So my my full key is that Oregon State has to find a way to pressure Bo Nix without opening things up downfield because I, I feel like the only way Oregon State's going to get pressure on the pocket and, and to potentially sack Knicks, which has only been, been done three times this year, um, 
is to bring the house. You know, it's those safety blitzes. It's those corner blitzes. Um, it's Ryan Cooper Jr. on the edge as as a nickel getting back there. That's, I, I think, the only way Oregon State can do it. But with Nick's completing passes at a 72% rate and with the talent they have outside, Chris Hudson um, and, and you know, a, a handful of other guys, um, name of their leading rusher is, is escaping me at the moment. Um, you can't afford to, you know, to, to go one-on-one all game and to have one safety back there. You know, you need those guys back there because Oregon has a very good passing attack. Um, and especially if Nick's can't run it, he's going to rely on passing it. So, you know, I, I think it's a tough matchup for Oregon state in that way and that the Beavers really struggle to get pressure. And I think the only way to do it is, um, is by sacrificing your downfield defense. So, um, I, I, frankly, I, I don't see Oregon state getting much pressure on him. And I think that's going to cost the Beavers. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that one. All right. With it being rivalry week, we have a, a full slate of Pac-12 games to highlight, and we'll close this episode out like we always do with a look around the Pac-12. And if we have a minute or two at the end, we might hit on a couple of the questions that came in via the YouTube chat. But let's start with the action on Black Friday. Uh, we'll we'll get things we'll, we'll kick things off in the Pac-12 at noon Pacific on Friday with the Territorial Cup, where Arizona State is a four-point underdog in Tucson. I think that's pretty fair. I think Arizona's been playing a lot better and um, ASU really not impressive. Obviously we saw that firsthand last week. I, I just don't think Arizona state's playing with uh, playing for much and, no, and Arizona, no. you know, uh, they're not going bowling, but this is their senior day. It's, it's at their house and they remember Arizona state beating them by about uh, 70 points, not too long ago. So <laughs> I, I like the wildcats in that one moving to the state of California. The, uh, the the game that is referred to by some as the Bear Bowl but doesn't have an official name, <laughs> UCLA a 10-point favorite in Berkeley at Cal, Friday, 1.30 p.m. on Fox. That UCLA should roll on that one. And you know I'm not a huge I, I'm, I'm not a huge UCLA fan, but I think that Cal just has too many struggles. Cal struggled against Stanford for much of that game before coming back to beat the Cardinal in the 125th playing of the big game. Then our game, Oregon, a three-point favorite in Corvallis, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on ABC. ESPN Radio will also be in the house, so this is getting a ton of national coverage, Beavers and Ducks in the limelight. Um, Angie, we'll save our predictions for this for, for Beaver Blitz staff picks, which will go live on the site on Friday. So let's move to the Rumble in the Rockies with 29 and a half point favorite for Utah. Notable a lot. A spread in which Colorado is not a 30 point or greater underdog, which has been the case for, I think about half the season, which is crazy. Um, yeah. That Utah, game is 1 PM Pacific on PAC 12 network. Well, I, I did think Utah played the worst game that I've seen from them in a couple years. I think cam rising did not look like himself on our last week against Oregon. I still think Utah puts up 50 on Colorado. As soon as the game in Corvallis wraps up, USC will host Notre Dame. They will play for the jeweled Shillelagh once again at the Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles. That is uh, again, also on ABC USC, a, a five and a half point favorite. And this is a huge spot for the PAC 12, man. I mean, huge. USC playing for a, a potential college football playoff berth cannot afford a letdown game against a Notre Dame team that very recently 
really took it to Clemson. Yeah, I mean, this this has to, I mean, USC has got to, to win this one um, to keep hopes alive for a couple teams hitting the CF, those uh, New Year's Day bowls. An important one for Oregon State fans yes, to keep an eye yes. on, too. If the Beavers want to go to the Vegas Bowl or Holiday Bowl, uh, they will need USC to make the playoff and, and, and frankly, probably Oregon to make yeah. the Rose Bowl. Um, they will also need Washington to beat Washington State in the Apple Cup in Pullman. Huskies are a two-point favorite. As things stand right now, that's the 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. It's going to be frigid on the Palouse. Um, I I saw potentially some snow in the forecast. This this feels very coin flippy to me. Yeah, me too. I I mean, I think Penix is good, but Washington State, I don't know. I I think in the Palouse, it's a coin flip. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. No less uh, a, a very defensive team in Washington state going up against that passing offense uh, at, at Washington. I think that's got instant classic written all over it. Then the PAC 12 slate ends with a, uh, a kind of a sleeper here. I mean, yeah. I, I will not be watching BYU at Stanford, uh, but the Cougars are a six and a half point favorite in that 8 PM kickoff on FS one. Thank God. Oregon state, Oregon is not an 8 PM kickoff. Very glad. That's uh, I, I guess for Oregon State fans, the silver lining in watching Oregon beat Utah last week was that um, that was probably the difference between a yeah. twelve thirty on ABC and a seven thirty on ESPN. And yeah. sure enough, um, sure enough, Oregon State got the uh, got what it was hoping for there, or at least at least we did. We were hoping. At for least that the media kickoff. did. Yes, yes. <laughs> kind of sick and tired of these uh, these late kickoffs, but luckily back to back back to back day games, hey, Angie. Thanks. It feels really no. good. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, it's Civil War weekend. It's glorious. Stick with Beaver Blitz. Remember, 75% off through Monday, Cyber Monday. Best deal of the year. Seriously, do not miss this. It runs for almost a full week. Um, but take advantage of it before you forget, because this kind of deal is not coming back for a while. So if you want access to all of our VIP content, if you want to get into the lodge and, and talk with other Oregon State fans, get some insight from us behind the paywall. It's the only way to do it. Um, so take advantage. Take advantage while you got the opportunity. Because I, yeah, this this usually comes around right before the start of the season, and then Black Friday. That's it. On that note, Angie, I'll see you on Saturday. We'll drive down to Corvallis and, and cover this thing, and then we'll be back on Sunday here on YouTube to recap it. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado One. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we will talk to you on Sunday for another episode of the Damn Podcast. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. 